Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Francois, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's been at least three years. I'm pretty sure it's been three years. Probably. Thank you for having the courage to have me back. Courage. I love talking with you, man. Or at least our last chat went so well. We talked about like time and space. And um, yeah, the obviously we're probably this episode, we're probably going to talk about the alien subject. But would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening who might not know who you are? Okay, so I'm a software engineer in a uh, in university in, in France. Uh, I did some study. My initial uh, training was in physics and astrophysics. I worked uh, six years in an in observatory and in a planetarium. And after I went uh, as a software engineer in computing. Can you catch me up on the past three years? Because we just got you just started mentioning some stuff about regrowing teeth where I'm like, okay, you've been down a different rabbit hole than I've been. I've been in a more historical route. Um, learning more about American history in particular, um, and having a large distrust for the government. So when we land in the UAP subject, all my viewpoints would be like, I do not trust a word the government is saying, but I'm interested. Catch me up, man. Tell me all about life and all the interesting ideas you got out there. We can start with the growing back uh, organs if you want. That sounds fascinating. Okay. So what we just said before, we were talking about a researcher called Michael Levin. Uh, which is on X and uh, is a specialist about uh, trying to see how the uh, kind of electric signature of the organs when our organism grow uh, and how we can reproduce some different organs with the same kind of electrical stimulation. Uh, it more or less uh, is kind of, uh, it's like if you found another informational system in the body, which is not in the DNA, but which, which is distributed through an electrical map of the uh, of the organism. Uh, so, and, and we said, because you had this problem with your teeth, we, we said that in the future, uh, we may, may be uh, able to actually grow, regrowth the, the, the teeth that you want if it's missing. And if we understand how to activate those biological subroutines, which uh, control uh, the growth of uh, each organ. Now, would that be able to be implemented with like ampl amp amputees, people that are missing like a limb, for instance? I feel like it would be easier to hook up, like if you lost a finger, uh, like I have a buddy, he got his finger in an accident, got it cut off, but they sewed it back on, but he has no, he can't move it like how I can move my finger like this. And it's been like that for 10 years now. He just can't move it. It doesn't have the flexibility or the motions, like the nerves are dead in there where I'm wondering, it's probably easier to reattach something and then find a way science-wise to get the nerves to work again so you have a functioning limb but regrowing a whole like finger or regrowing something of a different magnitude seems like a way more complicated route yeah it, it is but uh, bi biology is a field which is making a lot of progress uh so what's the biggest advancement do you think we've gone do you think it's more technology biology which out of all the academic fields you could possibly choose from uh, I think uh, uh, biology had a huge improvement. Uh, the, the, the quantum mechanics, for example, uh, gave us the transistors in 1947, uh, because the transistors is uh, application of quantum mechanics, which predicted that uh, some specific materials called semiconductors would be able to conduct electricity under certain condition and that we could make switch with it. And before 1947, uh, we, we had only, only vacuum tubes in order to have computers. They were very huge and very energetic. 
and you could only have them in, in, your, in, in big universities. And so without understanding of quantum mechanics, we wouldn't have small transistors and then we wouldn't be able to go to the moon. And therefore, we wouldn't be able to be aliens for possible inhabitants of the moon. So our technological advancement is a consequence of our, science, uh, uh, of our fundamental science understanding, uh, which, which brings us also to the subject of UAP, since we know that in our physics, uh, we have uh, the, the main theory, which is we know the, the world is quant quantic, which means it's made of little small particles called quanta, since Max Planck in, in 1900 uh, uh, needed to use quanta in order to have the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the spectrum, if you want, of the, uh, of, of the stars called the black body spectrum. Uh, so I used this idea of a quanta in 1900, and since then we, we're sure that the world is quantic uh, in, in, in small little parts. And, um, then came the general relativity, which is not a quantum uh, theory, it's a field theory, so it's a kind of continuous theory. And uh, between the two, we can't really make them mix together. There's, it's incompatible, uh, the both, both of them. And um, we know that if you look at the discoveries of uh, James Webb Telescope and the, the fact that uh, we're still searching for dark matter, uh, I never found it, uh, still searching for dark energy. Was Do you think it exists? That's the question. Do you think it exists? Uh, I think that it was a really good idea to search for the missing matter. But since it's been for so long that they didn't find it, I think it's time to try something else <laughs> because after 50 years, I think it's... Uh, because right now, uh, because they never found it, they go to the idea that maybe there are particles, maybe there are heavy particles, or maybe they don't interact with matter. Uh, therefore, that's why we don't see it. But if we have a science which is based on something that we can't measure and we can't make prediction with, it is, it, we, we are getting out of the realm of the scientific method and more into the realm of, of what we believe. Uh, so I think, and, and many people think that, that we have something missing in, in our physics. And if you come back to the idea of quantum mechanics giving us the transistor, giving us the ability to go to space, uh, if we manage to actually understand what is a missing physics, uh, maybe uh, a lot of things will open up and will come out of magic and be completely natural and logical. And um, that's why I think that you, the UAP subject, which shows some anomalies in terms of motion, and uh, speed, uh, and in terms of what is inertia, uh, then it could maybe to subject we could uh, an anomaly which could uh, bring us to, to a better understanding of our physics and 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 to continue. I gotta ask, do you think that it's really aliens or it's these things that no. obviously uh, you don't think so? I, I don't know, but that's what what that's what changed since last time we talked. The vocabulary completely changed. Uh, well, the UAP, it was called Unidentified uh, Aerial uh, Phenomena. Now it's Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. So they changed it sure. again? Damn, I yeah. just got the last one down. Because it's a, it's, it's, um, it's transmedium. There are examples of transmedium UAPs. 
coming from the the sea to the to the atmosphere and maybe maybe to space so therefore why why uh, be constrained to uh, the atmosphere if it can be eventually transmitted but the, but the biggest one i think is the nhi non-human intelligence to not talk anymore about alien or extraterrestrial and that's a great idea because uh, if you talk about alien or extraterrestrial, a lot of people are uncomfortable about the, the subject. Uh, at least um, they are uncomfortable about the subject if it's in our vicinity, vicinity in our space. If, they, if it's very far away, they, 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 most people don't mind. But um, and the idea of NHI, non-human intelligence, it came with the advancement and the explosion since last time we talk about the AI, artificial intelligence. And we kind of see that uh, there are kind of our offsprings, right? And uh, that maybe in a few years, they will look like alien to us because they will evolve uh, so quickly. Um, so uh, I think it's a great idea. I think and we I talked about this our first time when I mentioned Avi Loeb's interview where he was talking about um, uh, our digital children sending them into the world to go explore planets. Oh, I had Avi on my show back when, yeah, after crazy. I hit a thousand. Congrats. Um, congrats. <laughs> he, he likes the term alien and things of that sort, like lost. But I think you have this, you can't really call unidentified aerial phenomena or what we would call the alien subject, non-human intelligence, because I just think of AI. I think of things that we created ourselves that are not human, but they are intelligent. And now that will be the same classification if we're talking about aliens as well, too, because they're not human the way we identify, but they are intelligent. My issue is when it comes to UAP subject, I'm not a big fan of it because, first of all, nobody is in the academic community I've spoken to has bothered to even want to talk about it besides some scientist friends of mine that i have had on but they're, not, they're just not acknowledging it and i don't know why like people that study exoplanets that i speak to this that would be up their alley to start talking about or at least wondering what's going on with um extraterrestrial life but also like i said diving down the history rabbit hole of my country i have less likely to believe my government when they say something like that and that's when i have some serious concerns because i do think we can implement a lot of stuff and certain budgeting things when it comes to actually exploration into science, which I'm so pro for, but I don't know what announcing that and having a hearing like that. I don't know if you saw the first hearing that came out, not the NASA one, but the one before that, it was just a hearing of nothing. It did not solidify anybody's respect or confidence in our government. It didn't do anything to and give us more information about the subject at all. It just, People either turn on the TV, oh, that's cool, and then clicked away. Like, because I, I don't, I don't know why that is either. And I think this is a really important time to get a lot of people interested in what we are doing when it comes to space colonization and other things of that sort. But for some reason, it just didn't land correctly. Yeah, the I mean, you mentioned the exoplanets, uh, and if you look at the history of exoplanets. Uh, They've like quadrupled over like the past like 20, 30 years. It, it began in 1995, the first exoplanet found by Mayor and Kellos in a telescope, which was actually a pretty bad telescope. It's in the south of France and no astronomers want to actually really use it because even me as a student in astrophysics, I did use the telescope they used in order to uh, to find the exoplanet. But they explained in there. In, in some of their writing that uh, they did hide the fact they were searching for exoplanets because they were uh, afraid of the 
uh, comments uh, on the uh, they were afraid that uh, some researcher would uh, would uh, find that too exotic and too esoteric because exoplanet uh, okay and then what next aliens and exoplanet and at that time in 1995 what was believed what was accepted is uh, that in the universe we would probably have bacteria everywhere but uh, the I mean nobody really looked at exoplanets uh they were only they were in the in the uh in the history they said they could make a symposium in a phone booth booth uh because there were very few of them and the the method to actually uh find the uh, exoplanet was published at least the uh, transit one was published in the 50s 1950s we could have found exoplanets much 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 earlier but uh for some reasons it was already too exotic to, uh, to, to study. But when uh, Mayor and Kellos did find the first exoplanet, and the subject was so uh, hot uh, as, a, as a joke because uh, Mayor was in sabbatical year. I mean, if you're on a hot subject, you don't take a sabbatical year, you avoid it. So it was a student, which called Kellos, uh, Didier Kellos, which, which found the, the first, uh, uh, anomaly in 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 the in the light coming from this uh, from this star, uh, and um, and when that happened, it was possible for other astronomers to look at the stars and to see if the anomaly was still there, because the planet didn't go away. So it was something anyone could reproduce with their instruments, uh, and and then. Everybody believed in the exoplanet and everybody thought it was super fantastic and everybody was on this subject, except that before 1995, everybody thought it was ridiculous to study the subject. And they changed their opinion after because obviously you could measure it. But in, in the case of the UAP... Well, you had the Robertson panel and those people were professors or they were people that were blacklisted and shamed and called tinfoil hat for looking into the existence of extraterrestrial life. And one of those members on that panel killed themselves. I've had Larry Hancock, if you know him, for the Scientific Coalition for UAPs. Um, and now you have the government acknowledging that there's UAP existence or there's a unidentified aerial phenomenon. When we have articles and documentation about them writing down from the CIA manuscripts of things about these unidentified aerial phenomena and how you should describe them. What's the weather like in the air? There's plenty of government documents on the CIA website. They even talk about that. That's what I don't like is that the government acknowledges it or talks about UAPs and doesn't give you a real explanation of what they're exactly talking about. Just certain instances that they can't describe says that things have moved in different realms of physics and the way we understand them, which I was like, okay, well, that's interesting to me. But there was also, like I said, the Robertson panel. There's a history past of the same thing that's going on now that they're now acknowledging that they shamed before and called you a nut job and people lost their jobs over it. Yeah, but the, I mean, the, the shame culture, it, it is something we need to understand in the, in the framework of the culture of this, of, if you go back to the academics, uh, the, um, the, the researchers, they work in, in subspecialties. And so you're a specialist of something. Um, there's not a lot of specialists of your specialty on Earth, and especially in your country. Uh, so it's, they are small communities. 
And you think if you make a mistake or if you study something which is esoteric or risky, and it turns out that it was a, a loss of time and money, uh, everybody knows it in your community. Therefore, the, the incentive to take risk is really problematic uh, because it means that uh, you, you may lose grants in the future and support in the future. And because we are social animals and we need to have this uh, acceptance and support of your community, uh, if, if, if you go against the, 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 what is seen as, uh, as acceptable to your community, obviously it's, uh, it's something you, you're not willing uh, to, to take as a risk. And, and you, you mentioned uh, Avilab and in his first book called uh, Extraterrestrial, I think it was that. No, yeah. Um, he, he said that what what is the, what is the least the least uh, uh, happy with in the academics is is a lack of risk uh, taking risk, and he said that it should be like uh, in your finance when you put some money on the on the stock exchange. I mean, you 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 put eighty percent to things that you're going to improve, and you I mean to to things which are not too too risky. Um, you can take twenty percent to risky things, but right now it's it's hard, I think, to to take the risk because of the human nature and, and because of the the fact that there are very small communities. But there are ways to to get to, uh, around this. But, so I'm, I'm not surprised that, I mean, if you look at Avilob or uh, uh, Gary Nolan, they did their PhD in the eighties. Then nearly 60, I think the probably over 60 or maybe near 60 for Gary Nolan. And they are at the top of the hill. Of the Gary hill. Nolan's at the top of the hill? Yeah, he's got 50 patents. He's oh, got many say, startups. He, he commented on my YouTube channel on a video because he was like, Dick Cheney never had a heart attack. And I just linked the article. I was like, bro, if you can't do a quick Google search, I don't know. I don't trust anything you say. But now I realize he might be respected. I should have probably not said that. Whoops. Yeah, because I do follow him on, on uh, X, and what I like in him is uh, when he says something wrong, and and people come in and say, "Oh, that's wrong," and he say, "I stand corrected." <laughs> he didn't so say he, that to me. Yeah, really. But, that's fine. But no, I, I get what you're saying. About, form? I, I, it, it was in a YouTube comment. Okay, because that was video he commented on. It had to be something because I've talked to a lot of those guys who do the Galileo project. Um, which I think is really, really important. I think especially the, the I don't know if you know what the Galileo project is. Yeah, yeah. It's the one from Avilob. Yeah. Avilob, uh, Massimo Teodorani has been on the show multiple times. Those guys I respect because like they'll actually talk to you about these subjects, whether I know they have a whole panel of people on there, like Nick Pope's on there from Ancient Aliens. I've spoken to him too. Michael Shermer's on there. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's a skeptic, which I just think you need that influx of people on a panel, especially if you're going to talk about something like researching extraterrestrial life. You need to have a mixed bag of characters on there, people that are willing to challenge your theories and your ideas. My whole belief is that if someone's researching something, I don't think you should shame them for researching something, even though if you might not agree or call it science. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stuff that's fringe theories. You could say dark matter could be fringe theory because we don't know if it exists or not. But to me, I'm in belief that it does. I don't think it, we should pull out funding about it. I just think we're going to need something to help us discover it. And I think that thing is AI. 
think they're re trying to recreate how the Big Bang might have happened. I had a friend on here who's a reader in the UK about this stuff, and she works about dark matter and all these types of subjects. And she's like, we're just there's a simulation. It keeps going over and over again, trying to put out this theory of I might be butchering what she said, but trying to create how the Big Bang might have happened. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds important. But I think technology has to get to a point to be able to get us over that hump to get us there. Cause I don't think with our capacity, we just, we need tools and those are AI could be a useful tool. It can also be a useful companion. Like Avi Loeb says about digital children going out into the world, but we don't have enough things in the world of science or in just topics of conversation today that deal with understanding another person's perspective. We don't have that. And that whether that's an academic field or a route someone wants to pursue, if you, you mentioned a great point being tossed into the field of esoteric i some of the subjects like the uap stuff i don't consider that esoteric i just think it's controversial because for some reason there's a bad stigma behind it and that's why they rebranded the name and i guess they just rebranded it again but it's you can't you can change as much as you want it's just the initial subject matter for some people it's been taken and used and commercialized and then it just becomes this whole mess of things that like researchers will just not even look at, even though there might be a lot of evidence to support something of its point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you disagree, the, feel free. I'm not going to yell at you. No, 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 no. Um, the skeptic uh, aspect. Um, uh, They're heartless for, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the problem on the subject is um, you, you have people who either believe it's something unusual or people who believe it's it's something uh, just uh, uh, normal. And they, they already know what they believe in. Uh, and that's a problem in itself. For my part, I actually don't know what it is and I don't care what it is. What I'm interested in too is the inquiry and the fact to solve the problem. It's like playing a video game or MMORPG. I prefer to enjoy the, the path, right? The, the leveling experience try to, to decipher the problem that, that to what it is really. Because if you have an intuition that it is this or that, we know that uh, confirmation bias, bias is going to uh, push you to actually select uh, such or such, such aspect of the, uh, of the equation. And what I find interesting with AI like you said, that uh, it may be a way, uh, a post-biological way to go into space, but it's also a way maybe to help making research without the cultural um, and the, uh, the stigmatization and, and, and without the limitation, the psychological limitation that we have. If we manage to grow AI, making research without our limitations. Um, uh, that that could be an advancement, uh, that's for sure. But um, this uh, th this idea that people know what it is and uh, search to to uh, to push it is is so weird because, uh, for example, if you look like uh, the the main media, one reason the the researcher don't go into it is uh, that main media. Uh, very often ask for normal astronomers about this subject. So uh, they ask SETI, and they've got people like Seth Shostak. I don't know if you know him. Seth Shostak is a is one of the main main public relations of, of the City Institute, or people like Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
um, the, the, those people are, are actually convinced that there's nothing interesting here to, 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 to study. And when they are interviewed, when they are interviewed in, in video or into uh, magazine and publications and articles, um, they, they can, they come, they, they may be not realizing, but their behavior is really trying to, uh, uh, to, to stigmatize the people who want to actually study that. And, and they use arguments which are, in my view, unscientific. For example, Seth Shostak, uh, in one of the articles he wrote for The Economist, or I don't remember which, which big magazine, he said that the subject is so ridiculous because this UFO, they would come from outer space, from far away, traveling all this space just to crash on Earth. This is ridiculous. Uh, he said, but if you look at the way we send probes to Mars and other planets, the probability where we crash the most by so far, far is, is when we entry the, the atmospheric uh, uh, of this, this planet. That's why we're losing our probes. That, that's not in space. And, and those people know exactly that. But they, they would still use arguments uh, which, uh, which will convey the, the beliefs. And if you go into the City Institute and if you look at the webpage and the state mission statement, it's, it's, it says a sentence like, where will you be when uh, life is found beyond? Something like that. And you've got the, the word beyond because they are convinced that uh, we couldn't find something intelligent uh, uh, there. But also when Sesha Stack said, uh, why would alien would go so far away and to arrive on Earth and crash? Uh, it completely forgets con conveniently that we just changed the, the framework of study by not explicitly talking about aliens and extraterrestrial, but by talking about non-human intelligence. So we don't know, and I don't know, if this phenomena is real, I suspect it may be real, and if it is, it, it can be uh, it can be uh, earthbound, uh, but but they don't listen to that. They they don't uh, they they don't want to talk about that because it doesn't serve their uh, the narrative. Uh, this summer, I did uh, uh, listen to the podcast of Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, invited David Spurgeon, which is the head of the which was the head of the. Uh, independent committee for the study of UAP by NASA. And he, he was with a friend of him, uh, uh, near the rest of And the interview uh, was uh, during an hour. And he began by saying, how oh, David, how the hell did you manage to find yourself in this situation? I mean, for an hour, for an hour long, he was making fun of David Spurgeon, which is a cosmologist from the, the Princeton uh, University, uh, about him taking the, the responsibility to look at a way to use science in order to try to advance our understanding of what it is or, or what it is not. And uh, the fact that it went for an hour and it was repetitive in the way they were laughing and they were laughing at him, <laughs> um, is a kind of a har harassment uh, in itself. And um, it doesn't help other scientists to, to try to take the risk to investigate the subject in a scientific uh, way.
No, it doesn't. It doesn't engage the conversation. It doesn't move it farther forward. I actually literally just had this conversation like two weeks ago. I had a skeptic on my show. We were talking about the UAP subject, eventually led into the UAP subject, and he just goes, well, I actually am writing something new about the UAP subject and debunking that as well, too. And I just kind of went, well, why? What do you mean debunking UAPs? You consider that and the same thing with paranormal? I mean, it would be stupid to think we're the only people in the universe, right? And he goes, well, the UAP people are tinfoil hat. They believe this and this and that. And I go, what I notice about you guys is that you guys have a bias. He goes, what do you mean? I go, if I show you content that's a UAP subject, and then I showed you contact that's a skeptic show. Would you what would you view? He goes, well, I'd be probably more inclined to go with the skeptic side. I go, so you would consider them fact and the other ones not, despite everybody having their own talking points. You wouldn't give both the time. And he goes, I mean, I like to stay impartial. I'm like, yeah, but you just said you basically have a bias in the skeptic stuff. So that's the whole point is like, if you're not going to look at the evidence, look at what people present, then you're just going to find your talking points. And it's one thing I don't like about Neil deGrasse Tyson is he has his talking points. He's become a media figure more than a scientist now. There's on the opposite side, it's the same thing. Tom DeLong, all that type of stuff. They become UAP is their whole personality. And then there is no more, you know, real actual looking at something and trying to decipher what it is. It just becomes like... Everything has to be some type of UAP experience or there's aliens or they have bodies or something like that. I don't know because I've seen so many people post up clips of bodies of aliens, and I'm pretty sure it's from a movie I saw like from the 2000s or something like that where I'm like, you're not linking to where you're finding this. You're just posting pictures with some weird cryptic quote that does not help the discussion. What you're doing is you're dividing people more apart, and then you're creating Twitter arguments and fights, and that's not good for the discussion either. So I understand now where academics don't want to touch the subject because it's a minefield right now. I think that'll clear with time, but I like your I like your take on things. I think we're agreeing in the same aspect of things. We might have different ideas of like – I always think it's government tech that's way advanced is probably a lot of this stuff, um, but also I don't, I don't ever throw the alien subject out of the loop. I have too many friends that – believe in it astrophysicists radio astronomers all it's to me i just haven't seen it myself but if someone believes it and they experience something i'm not going to sit there and tell them that they're wrong and they're an idiot that's that doesn't do anything for anybody I, I could have a person on here explain their whole experience for an hour and a half and just laugh at them the whole time what would that get me out of life nothing but that's what you see when we talk about intellectuals that are when i mean intellectual Neil deGrasse Tyson is an intellectual. He's considered a high-class intellectual and a media figure. When people watch his podcast, like you did with that one guy, did he give him the time? No. Did he make fun of him? Yes. Do you consider him respectable? Probably not after that, but he still gets views anyway. And that's the area. We don't have a platform for discussions. And I think that's what the scientific community honestly needs. I've seen a lot of lectures. Um, but even we don't need debates anymore. We just need people that are open communication. Open science is a very good avenue with academics. But I have a lot of friends who know how I work, know how I think, and they want to talk to me like how you're talking to me. And that does the best service when we can actually have a discussion about certain things. And I might be ranting a lot, but it happens. And it's that's the thing I think that society needs to get people to these discussions about science and the actual important questions we need to be asking. And we don't have that on any platform out there on regular television, which people probably still use more than they do podcasts and other options. Mm. In the 
in what you said about uh, open science and uh, maybe the fact to to stay humble in front of what what we may not know about everything uh, we can also use the history of science to to inform us and um, in 18, 1803 uh, in uh, French Normandy Normandy uh, near Paris um, the, the at that time, scientists believed that uh, meteorites wasn't from space, that it was from Earth. Because the idea of something coming from space was too esoteric <laughs> at the time. Um, and in, eight, in 1803, above the city of L'Aigle, uh, a big meteor uh, came and it disintegrated into 3,000 pieces. And uh, um, Obviously, the whole city saw the stuff, but there wasn't any big scientists in this city because it's quite kind of small city. And at that time, uh, a researcher called uh, Jean-Sébastien Biot uh, came from Paris. He went to the city because the big problem of UAP, it's rare. It doesn't happen in your lab. You Unless you're in Alaska, work. then it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how are you going to deal with a subject which is rare? Uh, well, you try to increase your collective intelligence. You try to increase your number of sensors. And it happens that humans have sensors that got eyes, ears. So it happened that in 1803, some uh, many humans in this city saw this, all these uh, shooting stars, if you want, up to uh, meteorites in, on the ground. So this scientific, scientific scientist, he came from Paris and he went to interview all these people. He asked, uh, well, uh, which, which angle did it uh, went from and uh, how, how quick was that? And uh, what was the weather condition? And because at the time, the theory was that meteorites were ejected by volcanoes except there wasn't any volcano in the vicinity. Uh, or it was a kind of condensation when there's a bad weather, and then suddenly it condensates in a rock and it falls, uh, except the weather condition was really good. So it couldn't be uh, a weather condition. And he went back and he, he, he wrote a paper. Uh, and through the uh, contribution of all this citizen science, all those people we were at the right place at the right time. Uh, he managed to convince that actually this thing is uh, those meteorites, which are just rocks, uh, come from outer space. And we have a lot of other examples where we know that we must uh, begin to learn to be humble into what we believe in, um, what we don't know yet. Uh, another example are the sprites. Do you know about the sprites? You know what are sprites? The fairies? No. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's if, another word if, for fairies. If you open the uh, the report from NASA about the UAP, uh, at the page number four, I think, first it's the kind of uh, the content, and the first is a picture of the team of the UAP investigation team. And after, you've got a page, a full page, and you've got a red sprite. Um, sprites are rare events which happen above clouds when they, there's a storm. 
uh, it's actually beautiful to see if you if you look at it. Uh, the the this picture they they put on the on the report is beautiful, and it's been reported by people since more than a century. The problem is it's rare and it's very short in time, few milliseconds to few seconds. So nobody really believed the people who said they saw weird, fig weird, uh, weird right figures uh, or uh, uh, tree-like tree things above the, the, the clouds. And uh, the, the first time it was found, it was found by a university uh, by mistake. They had a high-sensitivity camera, which uh, went by mistake uh, operating the, during the full night. And on two frames, there was something weird. And it was monochrome, it was in color. And in, in the middle of the 90s, the NASA has been interested by that, say, well, maybe there's something to it. And they managed to take in 1994, I think, the first picture of a, of a, of a huge red sprite uh, above, above the clouds. And um, we have other subjects like that, which are uh, which doesn't happen, uh, which are rare, and which are very, uh, very short in time. For example, uh, lightning ball phenomena. Uh, yeah, but well, I'm not sure exactly if it's true the lightning ball, but probably we there's still some dis discussion about that. But uh, the the gamma ray burst, gamma ray burst. In the 60s, the United States had some spy satellites in order to uh, look at uh, potential enemy uh, <laughs> enemy foes on the planet, on the geopolitical planet. And they had those spies, the satellite spy, I think it's called VELA, V-A-L-A. And they had many sensors on it. And one of it is a gamma sensor. Do you know why the United States would try to to look at the Earth and see if there would be a uh, gamma ray emission. It's Probably because nuclear yeah. weapons, something with nuclear. Yeah, weapons. yeah, it's 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 a subproduct of a nuclear fission, a gamma ray. So if you've got a uh, 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 nuclear test, you will have a gamma ray burst burst into the. So there's a technical there's a techno signature to a nuclear test, at least a fission fission uh, nuclear test. Let's you know if your enemies are testing nuclear weapons. Exactly. But in that process, they the military began to see that, oh, weird. There are some gamma ray bursts in the sky. And it's very short, few milliseconds, few seconds again. And they did keep this information hidden for many years. And eventually, they did release the information because probably maybe the spy were, were, were known or whatever, and it wasn't dangerous for them to reveal it. It wasn't an advantage to, to keep it. Uh, and then the Astronomical Society and the academics knew that there were gamma ray bursts in the sky. And they began to study it, and they found an explanation, which would be uh, a collision of uh, neutron stars, which is one possible death of a, of a star, depending on their mass. and. Um, but the point here is the military had information that the academics didn't have. Why? Because they have so many satellites and they are searching for targets. And in their uh, gathering of data, uh, they may capture things 
which are not, uh, uh, which which may be anomalous, which may be anomalous. Um, what I think is very uh, different from when we talked about last time is that in May of this year, when this uh, committee of uh, independent study gathered, the researcher called uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick, which is the head of the Aero All Anomalous uh, Reporting Office, which depends on the DOD, Department of Defense. During this gathering, which was actually, it, it took four hours and it, most of it was not interesting, but he, he saw the, the famous orb, the spheres. Did you see that? Over Mosul. Did you see that part? I might have. And that is crazy. And what, what is even more crazy is that no main media reported on this. Um, so what he said is, well, I'm the director of the Arrow. Okay, so I'm, I'm called by uh, the NASA uh, research uh, team to report what I've been doing. Okay, what, what we've been doing, we've been gathering data. Uh, from different office, and uh, what we see the most uh, as a testimony are spheres. And those spheres, uh, he gave an ID card of it. He gave a PowerPoint presentation, and one of the slides was the idea of the identification of the spheres. And what he said is, we see those all over the, the planets, making very interesting maneuvers. So very interesting maneuvers, it's probably not following the wind. It may be intelligent maneuver. And he said, there are uh, one to four meter size spheres. They give the, the visual aspect, either silver, uh, translucid or uh, he, he gave the dynamic of it. It can be uh, hypersonic. It can go up to Mach 2, twice the sound of speed. Uh, it gave the, um, the, the radar uh, frequency to which they've seen it. So radar and the uh, infra, infrared uh, uh, signature they, they've seen. And he gave also uh, the height distribution, meaning the number of, uh, of uh, spheres they've seen depending on the altitude. And you can't give a, a, a high distribution if you don't have enough events. So they probably have many, many events in order to do a height uh, distribution. And they also gave the, the map of, uh, on the Earth, but he said that the map is correlated to the military of the US, so it's, it's maybe not this may be a bias in terms of their uh, localization. Um, that is super interesting because it's the first time I see that. Um, because it's either true or it's wrong. It's either uh, uh, false or, or true in terms of logical thinking. Uh, if it's false, then we need to understand why the government you don't trust is making uh, such a disinformation. Uh, for which purpose, and if it's true, uh, it, it is the start of a, of a possibility to find it 
those things because it gave it gave the position, the altitude, the size, the dynamic, the different wavelength they've seen into. And it may be now, if it's true, just a matter of time until another organization, maybe NASA eventually in the coming years, or maybe other organization are confirming that, yeah, there are some spheres which have uh, intelligent behavior up to Mach 2 and uh, moving on the, on the atmosphere of the Earth. Uh, and that didn't happen before. We didn't have an ID card to search for. It's an invitation card. You, 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 you give the morphology, you give the dynamic, you give the wavelength. And if you have the mean to find them, try to find them. And that is completely, we didn't have that three years ago. And I think it's again changing. What I don't understand is why would the Department of DOD would reveal that? I mean, I understand they are bound to, uh, to the will of the politicians and the politicians want this to be transparent because of the laws and stuff which uh, happened. But if, if I was working for the DOD, I would never reveal such a thing because I would try to understand what it is. Uh, because when you say making very interesting maneuvers up to Mach uh, 2, there's also another information I forgot. He said, there's no exhaust. There's, it's like, and I've seen that in infrared also, which we, we, would, we would see the exhaust in infrared. And we seen, our physics says that when we have action reaction, if you want to move in this direction, you need to push something in the other direction. Um, and it seems like this object uh, doesn't comply to what we know of inertia, mass inertia. That if you've got uh, something which, is, uh, which doesn't move, it, it will continue not to move if there's no force in it. And, and, uh, but this may be... This 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 is really strong and interesting. Um, you think it's true or false? I mean, I can give you. A, if we go back to the example I mentioned about the Robertson panel, um, historically during times like the Cold War, when we started seeing actual UAP reports, if you go on CIA I, CIA's website, they'll have sketches and drawings, things of this sort. Many talks about UAPs and subjects of that sort. A lot of that is misinformation on purpose because a lot of them believe that their Russia had invaded their intelligence organizations and they were printing up false reports. That is documented. That's that's like you can just search that up. It's not going to be conspiratorial. It's well known that they were planting misinformation on purpose. You talk about the DOD talking or releasing something like this. Why would they do that? I guarantee you it's not a not a false report in the sense of like they're just they that whatever the government has, they're not going to give you the actual thing that they're really working on. They might give you a sliver, they might give you something that'll just throw you off and be like, what is this supposed to mean? It's kind of like when they all everyone released their UAP reports, I think it was two years ago. USA only released like a nine page thing and five pages of it was like a summary or the introduction or something like that. While every other country released thousands of files on UAPs. The government's just, if the DOD releases something, any of these governments from what I've learned through just historically of looking like COINTELPRO, horrible government operations that have happened in our nation's history. A lot of the stuff that their initial letter is, 
it sounds like, wow, that's crazy. But then you actually dig down deeper and you get to like what would be fast forward nine months ahead. Those documents don't reflect the little lie they told you at the top. Now, I'm I'm pretty sure, I mean, in, in my, like when they were doing that UAP hearing, for instance, all those people talking about that, it, whatever in the, what is it? The guy said that it didn't move in the way that we know objects to move in today's physics or something like that. And then they kept saying, we'll talk about this in the skiff. Do you remember that? The little lovely skiff they kept mentioning, which is a side room where you talk about things you can't disclose for national security uh, reasons. Yeah, that was about the reverse engineering and the, the bodies. The yeah, David Grush. So when when he when they said that, I'm good, glad. I'm glad they're doing it behind closed doors. I'm actually hoping that they're actually discussing some of this stuff behind closed doors because at least they're discussing it. Yes, I would like to know about it, but at the same time, if your government's talking about it openly in front of every single person, or they're releasing something openly in front of everybody, it's not that a politician's bending their hand. It's because they're doing something to get you to back off a little bit because they are investigating other things. What I've learned more about my government is that you can't really examine the politicians' power in anything. Look at the intelligence agencies, the CIA, the FBI, and all these organizations as their own. Um, and there's, I can show you plenty of documentation if anybody who's listening to my show has known that for the JFK stuff, that's been verifiably proven. All these agencies talk trash on each other. That's how our government runs. They're headed by their directors. So like, if you look at like Bill Nelson in charge of NASA or whatever he's in charge of, I don't think he's like doing this on purpose thinking that, oh my God, I'm lying to all the American people. I don't think that at all. I just think he's probably seen some things, whether it's true information or misinformation to make him feel this way. I mean, think about it. If you were working for the government, for instance, and I came up to you and I was in charge of like a top secret organization that has like Area 54, we're going to go to that one. Because remember, they lied to us about Area 51. They said it didn't exist, and it did. Um, I don't know if you remember that. Maybe that was just a cultural thing over here. Uh, but if I came up to you and said, hey, I had these documents that I got here, and I was going to be like a whistleblower, which is a thing, and I gave it to you and showed you this information, you'd be like, oh my God, the government is up to some crazy stuff. And then you go and try and say it out there, but you don't have the documents to back it up. You know what I mean? You, you're you not lying about what you saw. I showed you this. But, yeah, but this you see time, what I'm saying? This time, yeah, I understand what you said, but this time it is too precise. I yeah. mean, the ID, the ID card is complete. The size, the dynamic, the different wavelength we need to, to look at. So in the coming years, we're going to say, well, we looked at it, it doesn't exist. I hope not. That would suck. Why would they say it well, doesn't but, exist? Yeah, the, then why would they give such an, a, a complete ID card? That's I what would, I'm saying. I would, they give, I would you give a something fuzzy. I would, I would give something fuzzy. Therefore, you won't be able to be, to be put in contradiction. It makes it makes it complicated when you examine the moves and motives that our government does. I'll tell you that much. It'll make you go nuts. Do you think it's real though? Do you think it's honest or do you think it's false? I I, I don't know. What I think is we have now the technological capability to verify if it's true or false. Uh, granted, it's pretty small, three three to four meters. It's not big, but. Uh, you talked about Avilab and he's, he's building a kind of a dome, a small dome where he's got a lot of sensors in order to uh, uh, look at the sky and also use AI machine learning, machine learning, 
in order to automatically analyze what's happening in the sky. Uh, I think it's a matter of years, max, maybe a few years, uh, in which we can say for sure this object, we can see it or we can't see it. And, um, and, and I don't think the DOD would have taken the risk to invent such a story because we would say, hey, this was completely stupid and it didn't exist. Uh, why would they give such a precise ID card? And anyway, what I found very interesting into the approach of the David Spurgeon into this independent study commanded by NASA, and that I learned from the podcast he did with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he said, well, uh, I think it's a great opportunity for citizen science. The, these events are rare, anomalous events. And in astronomy, we know about rare events. For example, this month, or in October month, well, we are in October, there's an amateur, an, an, an amateur, astronomer amateur, who found the first collision between two exoplanets. And I, it wasn't found by, by an academic, it, found, it was found by an amateur. Why? Because it's rare. And there are more amateurs than there are uh, professionals. And if you look at the discoveries of comets, and discoveries of, exo of uh, supernova, uh, very often it's, it's because of amateurs that are more numerous than the, 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 the academics. And the proposition of David Spurgeon is actually pretty interesting and cunning. He said, uh, well, uh, we, if we accept that those are real anomalous events and that it's rare, uh, we know that there are 8 billion people on Earth. Um, we know there's 5.5 billion smartphones. On smartphones, you've got gyroscopes, you've got accelerometers, you have uh, electromagnetism, so the electric and magnetic fields are measured. And you've got also the gravity, which can be measured. And this idea in complement, in complement to a more... Uh, rigorous with more uh, powerful tools is to use distributed, uh, massively distributed observation with uh, smartphones in order to try to spot anomalous events. So how, how would that work? Uh, when you talk about, uh, at the start, you were saying about videos that you couldn't trust and stuff, and you're right. If you've got a picture or a video of something, uh, if you just have one video, one picture of something, it's extremely difficult to see anything about it because you don't know if it's really near, like a bug in front of the objective of the camera, or if it's far and very, uh, very luminous, but far. And the, but if you use collective intelligence, what we could do is, and what, what is proposed by NASA, and um, that probably Bill Nelson from NASA is going to do, is to uh, take this UAP, UAP enigma as an opportunity, opportunity for citizen science by developing an application for smartphone, which actually already exists. There, there, is, a, there is a company called Enigma Lab, I think that's the name, we already created one of such application, but I would prefer NASA to do their own because I'd like to see exactly where the data goes. So the principle is, imagine there's something you don't know in the sky. Um, you can make a game of that. 
oh, there's something in the sky, we don't know what it is. There's so many things in the sky. There are satellites, there are ULM, very light uh, stuff, and there are sky divers. I mean, there's so many things in the sky uh, nowadays. Um, well, you would took your smartphone and you would take a picture in the direction of that, what you don't know what it is. And the idea of the app is, uh, because you collect the gyroscope, you know in which direction you're looking at. So if there are many people looking at the same event, we will know it because the different angles are going to cross into a region of the sky. And through the, we call that triangulation. So if you've got at least two observers, you know the distance of the event. If there's only one observer, you, you can't tell it. But uh, then the app would, um, would uh, uh, show events which may potentially be interesting because there are many people looking exactly in the same direction. That wouldn't say that it's anomalous. Again, it can be a, a Chinese balloon, it can be a, a Chinese, uh, what is it called? Um, uh, yeah. Um, but it would start a culture where people would try to look at the sky and try to decipher what's in, in it, and maybe with time to, to, to actually find anomalous event uh, in it. Uh, 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 an analogy could be like uh, geocaching. I don't know if you know the geocaching where people go out and they, they play to find uh, caches uh, in, in different places. Um, and if I go back to the event of 1803 with the uh, extraterrestrial nature of the meteorites, uh, it makes sense because there are many more people, right? And um, I think it's a promising way to actually uh, to find something and to have big data gathering and having some machine learning over it to try to pop up the events which are potentially uh, interesting. And this approach through the gyroscope uh, haven't been tried before and it will work only if there's enough people right, who, who play the game. I think you're dealing with a couple of problems there. I mean, the application, I've heard of that happening or someone being able to, it's like a UAP reporting thing. You can report if you see something weird in the sky and then it gets sent to, I think that would be a good idea, but I just think you're not, you got to get over the hump of citizen science. People don't accept that. I know a lot of people that consider themselves citizen science researchers, and I think that there's plenty out there and plenty of evidence to show that they do exist, but a lot of the academic community does not accept citizen science. Um, it's ivory well, tower syndrome of a it, sort. In astronomy, it's not true because we actually work with uh, with amateur uh, because they find so many things that the professional don't find because the professional they don't look at this guy. They they hire time. I agree with you, but I'm saying if you go to Twitter right now and put up, do you accept citizens doing science or citizen science as a thing? You're going to get a wide swath of people that are going to be saying no. And that's just be, and I've learned that I I would be, consider myself a historian, but nobody would consider me that because I don't have a PhD in it. Even though I've spoken to people that were alive at the time and experienced it themselves to interview them to be able to tell you the information on that. But from what I've learned from academics is they just don't accept that, and people don't accept it either. Some person who's a citizen scientist went out, and you got to look at the examination of the topic too. Exoplanets colliding into each other is a lot different than if you're talking about UAPs existing. 
or aerial phenomena but, or aliens existing. UAP could be Chinese balloons. It, it's probably many things, UAP, in, yeah. in, the, in this category, it's probably many phenomena. And uh, it would be already fantastic if you know that over your own country, you've got uh, Chinese spying on your military sites. I mean, it will be a win already. Yeah, it's been happening so, for a while. They just yeah, acknowledged so, it for the first let, time. Let's play the game and you will probably find interesting and useful things for 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 your country online, but maybe. Hold on. Can you imagine I, if that was the Roswell incident? Is that Chinese spy balloon? That's what they found when they said they caught a weather balloon or some crap. It was really a Chinese spy uh, balloon. At that time, it's not possible because they, were, they couldn't have a... They went in, in a very bad shape in 1947, the, the Chinese. I just think, like, for instance, there's a lot of things like Area 51 existing. That was a thing for a while that a lot of people were saying Area 51 existed and everyone was saying, no, that's a conspiracy theory. And then next thing you know, the base does exist. You know, that's a there's when you look at something like that, obviously, like if you're trying to prove something to be something you want to research into or something that would be smart enough to research and in, research into you're trying to find a history of if, if it's happened in the past so it gives you some basis to go on your investigation of like maybe we should try and find another event or look for something of that sort but then if there isn't an event like that before like let's take the uap subject it has an event in the past if you talk about like just the government wondering what these were having drawings of saucers, but I also got to look at it from a point of, I don't know if the government's being honest with their full transparency on so many aspects of things. And like I said, it depends on the weight of the topic. You know, if you're talking about time travel, dark matter is not a topic I would consider fringe, even though people say, well, it doesn't exist or it does exist. To me, it's not a fringe subject because there's a lot about space that we don't know. Astronomers believe in too dark matter. That's a problem, but they believe for 70 years of it, and we still haven't found anything. Exactly. Like I wouldn't be saying, you know, obviously I'm not going to stop somebody's research funding if they're because I have friends that research that topic. But if you bring that thing up there and you say like dark matter or something of that subject, you know, if you say like, oh, I'm not blaming you because that we haven't discovered it yet whether it exists or not, I'm not blaming you for that. We might be limited on our technology to be able to discover it. They get upset at you. They go, holy, they, they get mad. I've gotten people mad at me. Like I was discrediting uh, how far we've come with science. I was like, no, we're just not there yet to get, to be able to, to discover that if it exists. But that's, like I said, with academics, it's a little bit of a different subject I've learned. Like I can talk to you about certain subjects and I could talk to my friend who well, just trying to debunk UAP stuff all the time and call lightning ball phenomena. He's still open to listening on certain subjects, but then it leaves his bias point. And when it leaves someone's bias point, whether they're academic or not, I have academic friends that won't even entertain the UAP subject, won't even entertain space colonization because they think it's ridiculous. But then I have friends that are all about it. So then it's like when you start to find that everyone's got their certain points and in individual parts. For instance, we talk about space colonization. If you talk about sending robots up there, that's where they start. Some of them start bowing out. They think that's ridiculous. I'm like, wait, so it's more smart to send a person up there. And they're like, yeah, I was like, right. So it's like I'm step, I'm playing Minesweeper and I'm going to end up clicking something I'm not supposed to and blow up, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I do believe that citizen science is is uh, powerful and, and may actually bring something and one reason i believe that is that uh, when we talked three years ago i wasn't really aware of uh, uh of something called osint osint is open source intelligence 
So this term, it means it's not open source as a software. It's mean trying to have intelligence, trying to have an inquiry, a detective story, if you want, through open sources. Yeah, like academic journals, media, and all that. Yeah. And before, a few years earlier, nobody really believed that uh, citizen journalism could actually solve big geopolitical investigation in, into what a big power have done into a conflict or not. But this changed pretty much lately with a website called Bellingcat. Bellingcat, did you know about this website? Bellingcat? So, yeah, so it, it's a contraction of bell, putting a bell on the cat, bell in cat. And it's, it, it's been developed by a British called Elliot Higgins. And this British, in 2014, over Ukraine, a plane was uh, taken down. An uh, inquiry uh, went uh, into trying to decipher if it was the Ukrainian or the Russian who took the plane down. And the inquiry was more or less solved by citizen instead of, of, a, of a country. And um, uh, Elliot Higgins were uh, instrumental into using open source informations like what are on social media uh, to, but not only geo-informations, ge uh, into uh, showing and retracing the motion of the uh, missile launcher. So it did manage to, uh, to retrace where the missile launcher came from. And he did manage also to retrace uh, the, the, the soldiers which were inside the missile launcher, all this through open information. And because the information was open, any journalist could check it because the information is not secret. So what you're claiming, uh, you can look at it and, and decide by yourself if, if, if it's true or not. And uh, it's... It brings back the idea of the detective culture, the inquiry, and trying to solve by yourself what is the reality. And I'm not surprised it comes from the British because Elliot Higgins is British. Uh, if you look at the great detective stories of, in, in the humanity, you've got Sherlock Holmes, you've got Agatha Christie with Hercule Poirot, and they're all British. And uh, you know why they're all British? The people who made these uh, detective stories are so famous. Uh, because? Oh, well, I would, I would say because the, their government has been keeping a lot of secrets from them. They also don't talk about conspiracies like we do. Over, over here, if you talk about conspiracy, you'll get eye rolls. But for, for some reason, all the best, interesting, most government kind of weird stuff has always been from people from the England or another country in the UK or something like that. And I was like, they just, they explained it to me. We don't handle conspiracies like you guys do. We know that the government does some crazy stuff and we've learned that. And I'm like, that's fantastic. The, the industrial revolution began in London, in Europe. And what happened overnight uh, is that people knew each other in, in, in villages. People were living in villages and everybody knew everybody. And then, because of the industrial revolution, 
a lot of people went to populate the cities. And then suddenly, a lot of people who don't know each other were in the same vicinity. And so you've got a kind of anonymization because not you couldn't know every citizen of London by heart. And the crime began to rise up. And then the first police force has been created in a city. And the first one was, was in London because it was the biggest city uh, at the time and that the crime rate were, were growing up. But what I find very interesting when I go back to the OSIN culture, open source intelligence, if you look at it through uh, the Bellingcat website and through also uh, YouTube, for example, you will see that the culture of investigation and collective intelligent investigation to try to decipher what is true or false into misinformations and into fake news, uh, yeah, deep fakes, like and so on. I don't like you that. Don't, I mean, go. I mean, when you have the time, go into the billing cat. It's crazy because it's billing cat. It it tells you. It, it tells you the, the investigation, how they made the, the investigation for each story of or each event. They're mainly about geopolitical uh, problems that they, they are investigating. But what is crazy is how they solve problems, or at least how they try to find the solution. And what, what really surprised me is the power of the big data of open sources information. For example, we have so many satellites which are open science. For example, uh, when I when I talk about the Ukraine 2014 plane takedown, uh, Russian was Russia was suggested that uh, it was a Ukrainian launcher who did it. Um, they provided a satellite picture from the military satellite, and um, Elliot Higgins and Berinkat said, "Well, this picture." couldn't be taken at the time you are claiming because the vegetation didn't match this time period because we as a citizen have access to uh, satellites with uh, data on it, with extremely detailed information and, and picture of the earth anytime, anywhere. And we, we, we can by ourselves verify if the picture which I've been provided as, as and claimed for this time frame is current or not, with all the other pictures taken by other satellites. And this we didn't have before. And we have access to, I mean, when you look at UAP, we have access to all the flights which are in the airspace with flight 24. You can go to flight 24. And you can go anytime you want in the past and see exactly which planes with the transponders were present in the sky. But you can also know exactly if a Starlink satellite has been launched or any satellite, because it's mandatory for uh, any launch into space to be, uh, to be declared for security reasons. Um, all this is uh, also uh, public data. And if you want to go back into the past, maybe into the past, maybe three years ago at a certain time, and you want to know the weather conditions there, three years ago into over your city, you can go back into this period and exactly what what the weather was it because it's available online. 
Uh, and if you maybe suspect it's a satellite which is rotating around the Earth, well, there's a public database for that. And you can know exactly uh, which satellite there's currently above your, your head, and you can also uh, go back uh, in time. Uh, and even some uh, informations that we have, which is public, interfere with uh, information which are uh, not public. For example, in the in the Bellingcat, there's an article about uh, when Iran did attack uh, Saudi Arabia into their one of their oil uh, raffinery, place where they re refine the oil. And they managed to show that on a public satellite called Sentinel, Sentinel is a, is a, there are many satellites which are imaging the Earth. And the way they're imaging the Earth is they send a radar pulse uh, like bats, like Batman, bats. They send a radar pulse and it's it's bouncing on the earth and it comes back. And then they 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 provide the imagery for this region. And um, it's a great way to do imagery because it, it's not dependent on the weather. So if you've got clouds, you still have imagery. Like the bats don't, don't care about the clouds either. Um, and um, the they managed to see in Bellingcat that uh, from time to time, there is an interference into the data. And uh, they, they looked at it and they understood by doing an inquiry that they had the information on the public data of all the Patriot systems. Because Patriot systems, when they are into operation, in, in, and normally, they are into operation when a thing that could be attacked, a zone could be attacked. So you 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 take your patriot system, and you send radar pulse in the air, in order to try to find projectiles which could come at you, and then send your patriot missiles. And this was interfering with the public data. So if you go into the 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 Bellingcat, uh, website, um, you can know exactly the location of all the patriot systems because they are available. Uh, on the on the public data, and you could you you can go back in time to it. And just to give you another example, so if you take uh, you know OpenStreetMap, OpenStreetMap, it's a uh, it's a public uh, uh, mapping system, but it's well beyond the map. It's a uh, it's a geographical database where you. Um, you describe what you see and you give the location, latitude, longitude of the location. And through this uh, geolocation uh, database, they create maps. But uh, if you have a picture and um, if you can see on the picture, I don't know, maybe there's a fountain and maybe there, there are rails uh, next to the fountain, you can go in uh, an open street map or at least on tools that Bellingham developed. And you can ask in the city on the place where you think uh, you want to find the place from the picture you received, uh, you tell them, well, show me all the places with uh, rails and a fountain next to it. And it will tell you directly, this is all the points where in this vicinity there are rails, you know, like train rails and a fountain next to it. So you, you and all this data is public and you can then cross-reference different public sources and have some really impressive way to find information 
uh, even with uh, very limited information. Some some people, for example, play games like uh, GeoSetters, I think, where they, you just have a picture from uh, uh, Google Street View, and they still manage to define what it is in which country and in which location. They've never been there, never been there. But uh, by using a open source information and um, and uh, the the right tool and the the right method, you, you can you can solve a lot of mysteries like uh if you know the if you know the uh if you can look at the um at the length of a, a shadow and uh, if you know uh where and at what day the picture was taken you can know which at which hour right uh so if you miss in some information uh through public data or even some physics with the, the shadows uh, you can actually continue to solve the puzzle. And what I find interesting is there's a culture around this, around doesn't, which is growing rather quickly of people who are uh, finding themselves in a situation where, where it's so difficult to, I mean, the digital culture is a big problem because it created easily all the facts, all the, uh, the difficulty we have to know what is real or not. But in the same time, it is creating all the tools where we can decipher what is really real or not. And it depends to us to develop this culture where we systematically or, or, or where we like to right, investigate and, uh, and not be sure about things. So my hope is that the OSIN culture, which is right now more geared toward geopolitical conflicts. But my hope is the that the OSIN culture with the public science culture, because it is growing the, the public, uh, uh, the, the, the um, citizen science. Why? Because the gov many governments on earth want to justify the money they give to academics. And one of the way to justify the, the money uh, is to develop uh, citizen science but also it is to develop people to the culture of the scientific method in order to not fall into a world where people accept all the fake news which will be there and are not able to develop the uh, critical thinking which is necessary to not be a victim of all the facts which is uh, around it. So I think that's that's an opportunity, this in science and, and OSINT. Uh, to, to the study of UAP, and, uh, and then we'll see what NASA is going eventually to do. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if within a few years, we, we find something new, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, maybe extraterrestrial, maybe just earthbound, but something new. And um, that's why I'm pretty confident and pretty, uh, optimist into the way things are, are are turning. I don't think we agree on that subject, but that's fine. I don't think anybody should be in charge of labeling things misinformation or disinformation because I think it gets stuck into the political realms and it becomes that skeptic versus conspiracy discussion yeah, but that, again. That's why we need to develop the culture of systematic. Uh, I mean. You know who Roman Yampolsky, Jan Polanski, I think his name is. He studies AI existential risk, um, specifically. We had a conversation about this, and he brought up this one 
AI that could predict every, you know, thing, basically make every move, every decision that needs to be made would be done through this AI. And he was very pessimistic when I talked to him. I said, why are you so pessimistic about AI? He goes, because there's nobody in this world that would not program their own bias into one of these machines. He's like, if you have an AI that runs your politics, you're just going to have people in. Well, what would you consider? Let me let me ask you a question. What would you consider conspiracy? What would you consider a misinformation subject? The the bias is the data set that we give to the AI because the the way we program it is through the data. And there too, I'm pretty optimistic because if you talk to me about AI one year ago or in November when ChatGPT burst into the scene and then uh, humanity uh, saw ChatGPT and said, what the fuck, what's happening? And uh, the, the state of open source at this time, I mean, I was worried that open source wouldn't be able to to be strong enough in front of mega corporation bring the AI, AI and as a young person either you use those AI or you are far behind, far behind and you're going to be unemployed and if mega corporation are the only one having those AI we don't know how they are trained and we don't know their bias but if you look at a website called hugging face do you know about hugging face I don't, but I, I just have to say, you're bringing up some really good examples. The issue is, is that there's no way that something this powerful, the government wouldn't get their hands on it. And that's when it becomes a problem. You know, you see my point of it that. But if it's open source and if you have a data set. Again, like that's like the guy who, that's like the two people who had the idea for the water powered car. And then they both die in mysterious circumstances. One of them not might, might not have been our country though. One of them was probably Russia. I don't know if you ever heard that guy before he got poisoned at a cracker barrel you can look that up that's actually proven they did they he, he did get poisoned but they blamed it on russians um that he was meeting with at a cracker barrel but he had an idea for a, a water-powered car and it's like those things you know how they always say they got the cure for cancer and they're never gonna i don't go that conspiratorial on things but there's always something that's really really good for society and it's either taken by the government or there's something that makes it that just it poof it stops you know what I'm saying? When something like this that's open source, there's not a way that that's going to be able to be implemented into the lives of every single citizen because the government would never, at least our government over here, would not allow that. They would not allow that control. There's already, I don't know if you remember this, but this was probably less than a year ago. They were trying to create a disinformation board, a misinformation board over here in the United States, which was just a couple of members in our government that would go on the internet and label things fake news or real. There's no person that can do that. What you're suggesting is a device that's being able to kind of look through information and be able to examine different sources and shoot shoot fact from fiction or fact from false. Um, I don't see that not ending up in the hands of someone who wants to control that and use it for their own nefarious gain, whether it's government or not. So like what I say is when you consider something fact, if you base it on reasonable sources, there's a lot of things on the internet that are official narratives, I guess. Even ChatGBT will look up the first top results on certain things and give you a response to that. That's I just don't think that's a smart way to be basing a lot of citizen science stuff. I think the reason why we call it citizen science is because there's people that are investigating on their own and digging through documents and researching on their own. Some of the people I respect the most that do that type of stuff, because some people spend 30, 40 years doing it. Mm. But still, the the hugging face, oh, God. The, this 
this open source. I'll just edit out the minute I just ranted. No, no, no. It's uh, I, I I agree with it. It's, uh, but what I like me uh, the thing I like to do is to look at what people do with technology, the the usage they they have with technology, and um, in two or five there were the web two. It wasn't a technical technological change into the web. The web two was the usage change into the web. Suddenly people had the ability to have their own blogs, their, their own journal, their own uh, radio with podcasting, 204, their own TV uh, with uh, YouTube, 205, uh, their own uh, social networks or com uh, uh, communication agency. And we saw what the rise of amateurs and what they've been able to do. I mean, you are a children of web too, because I mean, you can do a podcast without being a broadcaster, without having uh, a huge uh, uh, resource uh, and acknowledgement of your right to actually uh, interview people from the other side of the earth uh, and so on. Felt like that was uh, an insult, but whatever. Yeah. But I'm trying the... my best, man. Damn, I haven't <laughs> talked about the science subject in a while. <laughs> but the the open source is it, it's really powerful. In 205, uh, I don't know if you remember the Microsoft said that Linux is a cancer. Don't you remember that? Uh no, you you're not into computing. Uh Steve Ballmer uh claimed. Do I look Linux... like I'm into computing? Do I? Do I? Yeah, Do I you're a nerd. You're oh, geek, yeah. you're nerd. We get my uh, black rim glasses uh, out. Embrace <laughs> the geek culture and the nerd culture. And in 205, it wasn't we didn't know if tech tools that were going to be closed source or it would be open source and, and free as a free software source. And nowadays mainly all tools are open source. Microsoft uh, Visual Studio Code is open source. Linux is... Yeah, but I don't think they predicted it would get that big, though. If people would have known the internet would have gotten this big, they would have definitely charged people to get on the internet. But they couldn't because it was a citizen science project. Linus Torvald yeah. just met that in his basement. Yes, and he wanted it to be free. But I'm saying if he if they would have known the capacity, the internet would have came into every single person's life. They definitely would have put a thing on that. Yeah, but they couldn't. It's the same thing with they couldn't because he. Yeah, I understand his thing, but I'm saying is now there's that different train of thinking now. There, any app that comes out now, there's. I mean, I think Elon Musk is the only person that makes his stuff open source patents on a lot of his devices. Good guy, makes a lot of money, does a lot of good things, gets a lot of crap unnecessarily, which I don't agree with. On, um, but uh, there's a lot of things now. Nobody's doing it open source a whole lot of ways. It always comes into a business, sees it or buys it up or something. No, of that you, sort. You, capitalism. You, you can do business with open source, not a problem. What you're going to sell these services and you're on the way on the, the, the fact that you know very well this technology. So who I'm going to ask for advice or some specific development, which are specific to my space rocket or whatever, I will go to the one which know very well this technology. So you can sell, you can make big bucks with open source and free software. That's what some companies are, many companies are doing it. It's not, it's not a problem, but also it means that any little actors, any little uh, citizen can also use very, very powerful tools. And if I go back to the hugging phase, what I find really uh, surprising this year uh, is that for the first time, uh, 
Hugging face, if you if I want to summarize what it is, uh, it is a kind of libraries, a library of pre-trained brains. Do you remember the movie called um, Frankenstein Jr. from Brooke, Brooke, what was his name again? Frankenstein Jr. from uh, and he, Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein wants to make a creature, a monster, and he sends his, his uh, apprentice um, into finding a brain, but it wasn't really uh, bright, his uh, colleague, and he did come back with the uh, abnormal brain. So that's why the Frankenstein creature did turn badly. But uh, Hugging Face, which is actually made by French people, uh, three French people, but with uh, American money, <laughs> because they went to, to the States to do that. Um, you've got on this website 360,000 pre-trained brains, open source with the data set. Um, those brains, they are specialized into different subjects, like natural language processing, like uh, text to audio, text to picture, text to video, speech to text, and so on, and so on, and so on. And you can use them uh, like they are, uh, pre-trained. Or if you think that uh, some of them are have some bias, well, you just look at the data set because the data set has publi are published, the, the research paper are published too on the website. And you look at the data set and you just remove the parts you think are data with bias section in it. And you, like re and you retrain, you like retrain your brain, which corresponds to your values. And then because it's open source, you don't need to use a server which is in the United States because you don't trust the government and so on. You keep it in-house in your institution or even at home. Uh, and that's the beauty of, of open source. Uh, and we have all these super powerful tools now which, uh, which are available, um, which by the way, will probably a part of the solution to UAP uh, in order to feed those systems into automatic uh, recognition of shapes into what happens on, on cameras and so on, and to propose to human aware people some potentially interesting case to investigate further. And the beauty of computing is that it's very patient. So it can work forever until it catches something which is potentially interesting and that we can continue to investigate. So the rise of AI and especially open source AI, the rise of Aussie culture of, inf of, of investigation, the rise of citizen science, uh, I think it's a pretty good combination which could bring a, a potentially interesting result in the future. You said could, which gives me hope that you understand where my pessimism comes in about people doing the things to better society instead of well, for me, for me, the technology and the science, especially the technology, is just a tool. It's never good, it's never bad. Uh, with a knife, I can uh, kill someone, but I can also better eat, uh, have a better uh, food uh, in, in my system to be uh, more, more healthy. What is the problem is, is the education we, we have into using those tools. Yeah. And, uh, and that, is, that, that is, I think, the most difficult and the most... Uh, again, my points here in this conversation, we're not dismissing the technology. They're just dismissing the application of these technologies. I just don't ever see it 
being put in the right hands of people. I, I'm sure there's but, good people out there we, that are doing great but research. We, we we all have a voice. We all can contribute to any Look, project. My voice compared to Bill Gates ain't shit. I'll just let you know that right now, man. Yeah, but there, there's a, a researcher called uh, Clay Shorty and uh, he, he wrote a book uh, in 205 called Here Comes Everybody and explained that in the history of mankind, there's three phase in terms of communication because we are social animals, we communicate, right? For example, if I speak to you, I speak one-to-one, -one, or maybe there's few people around. So it's one-to-one -one communication, it's real time, and you're not going to influence a lot of people, just one or maybe people around you. Then came technology, like the press, like TV, like radio, called broadcasting. It's one-to-many. So one actor, uh, one institution could influence a lot of other people through the power of broadcasting. It's one to many. And we didn't have that because you had to be rich to have it. And you have to be influential and powerful if you wanted to have your voice available to other many people. But what happened with technology, uh, especially around 205, and also through the free software and open source culture, which managed to took over the closed source technology is uh, many to many tools. You, you Today, through social media, uh, social network, it's many to many. Anyone can talk to many, 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 many people. And any of this many, many, many people can talk to many, 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 many people. So the, the uh, the framework to gather information, to share information, to influence other people is, is different and for the worst and for the better. Yeah. But that's a problem of culture. But we can't say that we, we don't have any say into how things are going to shape because through the many-to-many -many topology, if you want, it's, it's the first time that we actually have an influence. What would you say would be a subject that has had a, the people's voice actually change anything about it? A subject where the, uh, the people's voice. Yeah, you, if, you're say, if you're saying what I would agree with, which is the people have a voice and people can voice and be able to make sure that these things go on the correct paths, what would you say a subject in our in any history that has gone the way that the people had a voice to be able to speak about that wasn't influenced in some sense? I mean, we, we are all influenced by media, but also by people. True. We're very influenceable. But, but what, what I can say is, uh, for example, if I look at the Ukrainian conflict, um, I've looked at into the what the media in France is saying about the conflict, and what they're saying into the media is very clear. It's uh, Russia is a hundred percent wrong, and the Occident and the OTAN is hundred percent right, and we didn't make any mistakes, and the Russian made all the mistakes. Um, if, but because I've got technology. I've got social media. I can go on uh, YouTube. And the first one of the first uh, uh, interesting YouTube I found was from an academics of uh, a geopolitician. 
And he gave some very clear explanation in 2015 about the situation that I would never have known through the traditional media and which completely uh, rebalanced my, my understanding of the, of the conflict. Uh, so for me, uh, we made some mistakes and they made some mistakes. It's, it's very gray, but it's not a, a black and white uh, situation. Uh, you know uh, on YouTube that they limit the conversations you can have on Russia and Ukraine? Yeah. Uh, Do you know that curbs intelligence when you start having people censor themselves or not be able to limit the, maybe the full conversation about the discussion of the subject matter? Now, the fact that things disappear... No, well, things can disappear, but like there's certain things you can't mention in a video and they will take down your whole video, even if it's a small little one minute thing and not tell you what you did wrong. Yeah, that, that's your problem because YouTube is is too big. I mean, there's no alternative. So it, it, it has a power and also that's a bad uh, view also of AI because the uh, the uh, algorithm uh, sucks. Algorithm, yeah. A lot of things are, because they're very conservative, they don't want to have problems. So they don't really care about the exceptions to the intellectual property or whatever. Uh, so you, you've got the right to satire on other, or citation, citation of something and so on. But they're, yeah, they're way too, uh, they're way too strong into the way they, uh, how do you say that? Uh, the, um, uh, yeah, the, the filters are, are way too too high. But the beauty of open source <laughs> is that you can you can still have other websites. So, for example, there there's a website called well, there's a software called uh, PeerTube. PeerTube. It's uh, it's a place where you can take your own server and put your videos on it. And obviously, it's not going to be as influential as YouTube because not everybody's going to know each other, right? But uh, through what we call, through what we call the syndication, not uh, how do you say that in English? Um, it's uh, it's like Mastodon. Mastodon, it's uh, you can connect all the server together, uh, kind of syndication, and uh, so it 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 appear as a single entity, even if it's multiple uh, servers. Um, if we didn't have that, uh, we, you would disappear completely. I mean, if Google decide to ban you, it's over. But you still can survive a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the the power of the big corporation obviously is a problem. I mean, I, I really feel that we are at a time where uh, a lot of countries want to take back the control of information. And it's going to be difficult. I just don't think you can pick and choose what's right and wrong. I don't I don't think there's I think a lot of people have their own base intelligence, obviously, and they're gonna have their own biases yeah. and things that they choose. But but, think... but you, you can inquiry. You 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 can do the the you, you can do the uh Sherlock Holmes stuff. Um and you can also decide in my case, there's a many subjects where I don't know what is wrong and it was right. And and this is this culture we need to to develop. I agree, uh, and to and to get out also of the a of the AI algorithm, which puts you into a bubble. For example, the it, it's gonna man. It always leads back to, and it's a tough word to try and lump into this, but it always leads back to eugenics. 
I hate to say that. And you're going to be like, what eugenics what are you talking about? People want people to think like them. They want people that there's a lot of people. Let's look at social media as a best example. How many people are stuck in their own little groups and don't ever branch out of their own little groups? Everyone that thinks exactly like them. That's exactly what big tech does. That's exactly what everything does now. All political stuff that gets involved. They just want people that think like them. Everyone needs to think this way on the internet. Everyone needs to think this way on the internet. I've spoken to many academics and they've used that example, eugenics. And I say, well, that's a little bit drastic, right? And they're like, no, they just want people to agree with this. And if you don't agree, eventually it'll get to a point where you're just off the internet. They're not going to let you allow on there. You can make multiple accounts. I've seen that with friends shows that get taken down all for talking about things like Atlantis. What? Just because someone wants to have a hypothesis on the existence of younger drives impact hypothesis. How the... That's another one that gets lumped in the conspiracy realm. I was like, how are you going to know if you don't have the conversation and don't let people sort out the information for themselves? But that's just how the cultures work. It's the main thing is the issue. I guess maybe my issue isn't so much government. It's more on the fact that it's culture and culture is influenced by so many factors. And some of those factors are now politics. It's why the climate topic is one of the most heated debates and it gets lumped into the uh, the p political realm. There's just things now that become taboo and controversial that shouldn't be controversial because of the fact that politics, all these things that should not be influenced are now being influenced into these subjects. And if you talk about big tech corporations, YouTube, any of these things, they're owned and they have a political bias. A lot of them do. And I think even if you watch the Zuckerberg interview with Joe Rogan, he even talked about the Hunter Biden laptop thing that happened in Delaware, the state beside me. I could tell you it was 100 percent real, but it was a conspiracy for six months, because if you agreed with that, you were a Trumper or you were a MAGA person when the laptop did exist. And Zuckerberg even said it. He said, FBI came to me, told me to make sure that link was not sendable. And he told him everything that the FBI told him to do, saying it was Russian propaganda is what he called it. And he said that on air. I mean, I like I said, I don't trust any any anything. When you look at sources of information, you can read it and you're only if you agree with it, you consider it fact. And that's for a lot of people. A device being able to decipher from various different sources still, though, what's the top thing it's probably going to go to first? YouTube. I mean, if it finds it there on YouTube, is it going to go do any more digging to verify its claim or be like, I got you your claim? It would be the same thing if I searched up coffee on the internet. Coffee health effects gives me a list of bad side effects. Okay, I can show you. Don't drink coffee. Then I get what? I look up a co coffee positive benefits, and then I get a whole list of positive benefits. So it's like, well, there's negative and positives, right? Oh, no. Well, you're only going to have two people fighting over the argument of coffee's only good for you or coffee's only bad for you. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think, you, you know, you bring up really, really good points about a lot of stuff. I'm pretty sure I agree with everything you said. It's just I'm more concerned about where it leads to, where where this beneficial technology goes into. And I don't see any avenue that it, I would believe maybe a citizen would be able to do it, but I just don't see them not being manipulated in a sense. I hate to say it like that, but capitalism is real. If they try and start their own business and try and get an app out there, they can get bought out. They can get crushed because the thing's already monopolized as it is, and they could be influenced by a certain thing. A lot of people sell their companies and sell their startups. So for me, I don't know. I'm more concerned about I just don't think the climate is – there's not a chance to be an entrepreneur. There's not a chance to release or try and want to do good or even have a conversation. Everything has to be sides, and I don't like that, but – yeah, but one way, and I agree fully with you, but one, one way we can do is try to beat the algorithm. 
and beat what it? the beat it with a stick no okay uh, <laughs> kidding because it, the, the goal is to, the goal of the algorithm of the ai is to put yourself into your initial profile what you what you are interested in and what i what i did since now a few years is i forced myself to follow people i don't like i really dislike damn is that why you're following me uh, yeah exactly you've got it yeah you see that investigation i was i'm about. learning <laughs> <laughs> so the and the thing is it has a very strange effect to do that because uh first you are very angry because obviously they're going to say things which are completely stupid but from time to time uh they they provide information that you wouldn't have seen in the other side of the argument or to the other people you follow and information which are actually extremely useful and to me anyway and by doing this the algorithm, the AI, don't know in which category to put you. And therefore, it, it provides you with uh, a more balanced view of the, of the different views of the world. Uh, and that should be taught in schools, right, into how we use social media. Social media and, uh, and social network, it's, it's very extremely young. We don't have the maturity to use it, actually. And, uh, but, but we can still uh, influence the, the, the way they work to actually have a better view uh, of the world. And even company like TikTok, they, they were the first to actually put uh, in their profile a button to reset your profile, to tell AI, forget about me, forget about everything I've seen before and uh, relearn about my, my profile. So I'm not... I'm not kept into my initial interest when I first inter inter interacted with the, with the social media. And maybe we will see also some regulation in the future because as a democracy, we can also uh, learn from the, the, the bad things which happen with the technology and try to influence them into something which is, which is better for us. And one way to influence them would be well, impose a reset button on those social media, on social network where when we can by law ask the AI to forget about our initial profile. And maybe we can impose to have 20% uh, of information on, of uh, content which is not uh, corresponding to our beliefs and so on to expose uh, us again to, to something which is uh, not what what we believe, but all the all this is so so new. I mean, the fact that we could really very precisely select the information we are feed on is new because before in the eighties, I grew in the eighties, and everybody was watching the the three TV channels, and everybody's got more or less the same narratives. And after you could decide to read different books than other people but we, we had at least a common ground of information, a minimal common ground of information in order to exchange. Um, this kind of disappeared with the social uh, media network. But as a democracy, we can still look at what seems to be bad and decide how we can correct it or, or try something else. I'm with you. Probably a little bit less optimistic, but... I get you. I mean, I think you bring up really, really good points. 
I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson's guest. You've insulted me so much today. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I, no. You're very I, respectful. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a, is a, is a, is nearly a bullier. I mean, toward the. I mean, the you were Neil. De, you you were Neil deGrasse Tyson to me. Good God, you called me stupid, and you only followed yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. I'm proud okay. of it. <laughs> <laughs> now. Um, I do appreciate that. We haven't been talking two hours. I do appreciate the time you gave me to talk about some of these subjects. I'll have to have you back once, uh, I don't know, my ego heals. Um, not just kidding. Yeah, uh, when, we, when we found the UAP and the, the NHI, the non-human intelligence. I think you bring up some really, really good points on some things. Um, I'm a little bit more pessimistic, obviously, because I just explored a lot of areas where it's always gone kind of bad. And I think that's just because I don't know. I don't. I, I think we live in the illusion of democracy. I know it seems like it, but there's a lot of things that obviously haven't that should have been changed and real active change should have been participated in. But it never fully occurred because of the fact that we do get distracted. I mean, time is attention spans everything that gets flooded to you on the internet is ridiculous the amount of information that's flooded to you where people can't focus on one thing for so long they move on to the next thing i mean you russia and ukraine was such a big issue and now it's israel and palestine you know there's always something that's right in front of our face and it just it comes this whole concern and then it goes out the door next thing you know we don't talk about it anymore and even though it was just less than a month ago or two months ago it was all over the place you couldn't take a step without seeing it so i mean i'm Hoping that a lot of people are doing the new method of things, which is backing away from the technology a little bit and kind of trying to sort out information, single process things, take days off, because I help think that helps our train of thinking. Um, but I don't know. It, social media is addicting as hell. I love being on it. it. <laughs> I had to cut it off because we are social. We are social animals, so we need the, we we seek for those connections. But but we need to we need to understand what is called the social psychology. No, it's what what is it called uh, be, behaviorism. I mean the, the, the way we are socially uh, influenced, and that's something we should learn in schools. So we would know about how brands sell their products and and so on. And I don't know if I told you last time about a, a neuroscientist researcher with, who uh, made a TED video and uh, he explained that uh, they took in the lab three people and they called tell them to play with balls so they they just took a ball and threw into which they played together is that the gorilla the that's walking no not this oh, one damn. not this one and um before the experiment happened they they took two of them and say hey you're going to play together but after a while, you don't send the ball to the third guy, okay? You just play together, okay? So, okay, we, we paid for that. We don't to do what you want. And during the experience, they had some uh, EEG uh, headset to see the electric uh, activity of the brain. And uh, why, what they've seen is that the uh, electric uh, signature of the brain, when the third guy is not included into the play anymore, is exactly the same as a physical pain. And they treated the guy exactly the same as a physical pain by, by giving the, 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 the medics, the, 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 uh, the pills that we use for physical pain. It means that the fact to be rejected by a group in which you weren't treating in is as painful or is seen as violent as a physical injury for a human. And that 
we we come back again to the why more researchers are not studying the subject because they play in a group which are academics and if it could mean that they are rejected by the group in which the the the, the future is obviously it's a real pain and, and that's and that's why true innovation is difficult really to happen in in small groups which where people have a lot to lose and that's why i come back again to the citizen science uh, and the ozone culture because it's a, just a hobby if 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 they fail and if it doesn't work it, it won't be as painful because as a hobby you don't really care what what other people really really think but it's this idea that we we know actually very little or actually i did know very little about the psychological mechanism and the way we are socially programmed which uh, explain our behaviors and i find it crazy that we don't study that in schools i mean that's what we need to know in school is the way we are influenced the way we limit ourselves also um this is this is not 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 studied but it should be francois i appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show is there a place where people can find your links yeah uh on the uh, x uh, twitter. uh which twitter. Is twitter yeah twitter you prefer twitter yeah x is so weird i mean you you have the impression you're going to have a strange content into this platform but uh <laughs> it's so it's arubas arubas f schnell f c h f c h n e l l that's where I share many links about science. I'm interested in to uh, kind of disruptive or innovative uh, science, and also about the the UAP uh, investigation, also about AI. But I think all this could be uh, could be linked together. We'll see in a few years. What we will happen. be doing a part two at some point. Yes, um, I hope I yes. continue yes. to find those interesting events. As long as, as you keep following science. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate the time. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for next.